Christ is born. Glorify him. Merry Christmas. Blessed Nativity to everyone. Um, today is the day traditionally called the day after Christmas, or Boxing Day, when you put the stuff away and it's all done. And when I say traditionally, I mean kind of in the modern West. I don't mean in the Orthodox Church. Because to think of this as the day after Christmas is to assume that it happened and it's, and it's done with. When I was growing up, the way we would do it, we'd get up first thing, we'd open the presents, we'd have breakfast, and Christmas was effectively done by about 10.30 in the morning. And I remember thinking, like, this is, this is it? This is what I'm supposed to get worked up for? Like, this is, this is the whole thing? I mean, I, we would go to church on Christmas Eve, and that was great, but, you know, the, it would come and it would go. And I was thinking about this again yesterday, this problem of Christmas comes and then it's gone. And how easy it is that the ways we have to make Christmas special so often revolve around food and presents and gatherings, all of which are temporary, right? Once you get the present, it's not a present anymore. It's just another possession. Once you've eaten the food, you digest the food, and that's kind of that. The only way to keep that going is to go to the after Christmas sales. The day after, I don't know if they have those here, the Boxing Day sales? Like, you got to go back to the store today to get all the stuff you didn't already buy. Like, you haven't bought enough stuff, right? And so you keep it going, like, more stuff, more presents, or more food. Got to have those leftovers. And, I mean, don't get me wrong, I will be eating leftovers today. But the notion that it's the day after Christmas misses the point. Because it's not the day after Christmas. Today is, in fact, the second day of Nativity. Or, to put it differently, it's still just Nativity. We're not out of it. It's not marking time on a calendar that then goes on. And it's like, oh, well, time for the 27th and the 28th and tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow in this linear march from birth to death. That's not what Christmas is. Christmas is the beginning point of all history. The nativity is the fulcrum on which past and future balance. Everything starts there. It's with good reason that it was the Venerable Bede, a good uh, Christian monk from northern England, uh, a proper Geordie from Newcastle, actually, who came up with a calendar system that we use today, where we go BC, counting down to zero, and then AD up, right? BC, before Christ, AD, Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord. And the point at the middle is zero. Or rather, there isn't a zero. There's just this indefinite moment when everything changed. You go from one before Christ to one after Christ, because in the center of that, there is only Christ. Because in the center of all of time is the nativity. And so we are not out of it. We're never going to be out of it. We are always in it. And we get to remind ourselves of that fact every year for 40 days leading up and for eight days afterward or rather for eight days during. I always say after because I'm still so used to, oh, 25th come and gone, but no, it hasn't. We're in it. But does that make sense? That this isn't something that comes and goes. This is where everything begins. Because this is the moment when God became human, when the pre-eternal God became an infant child and took to himself our life so that he could give us his life. Because in this moment, it wasn't just another birth leading toward another death or another day in the life. It was the complete renovation, the remaking, the recreation of human beings and of the whole universe. 
We get to be something different than we could have been. We get to live again in the resurrection. We get to be like Christ because Christ became like us. And that begins in the nativity. And so we are always, uh, to, to kind of paraphrase, there's a wonderful novel called Gilead by Marilyn Robinson, and she, she says that, how does she put it? It, it, all the days from creation to this, or rather it's just one day. She says life is constant. We just turn over in it. And that's all we're doing. The nativity is constant. We're just turning over in it. And so if we can try and hold on to that, it's really hard to hold on to it. But if we can try to, that's a way of dwelling in this moment that is always with us, whether we realize it or not. Now that sounds really good and, and perhaps like a nice thing to say. But hey Zoe, could you come up for a second? We've got the, oh yeah, sweet. We've got the nativity icon behind me. Yeah, if you'll pick it up, we'll pick it up very carefully, if that's okay, maybe. Okay, two hands, two hands, nice. Gonna Vanna White this. All right, but what does it mean to dwell in this moment? Because time does go on. Days do go from day to day and on and on. So I, I don't know how well you can see it. I'm going to hope that you can see it a little bit. It's, it's a bit of a challenge on the, on the interwebs there. But the icon of the nativity is an amazing compression of time. So in this icon, we have, in the bottom right here, we have John the Baptist, who was born six months before Jesus. Oh, that's interesting. That's, that's there. And we've got Joseph being tempted not to go with Mary, but then having a dream to go with Mary. That, that happened before the nativity. Then we've got the nativity with the angels and the shepherds and the animals. Good. Mary's there. Yes, that's Christmas. But then we've got the wise men coming as well. Well, we heard the gospel today. The wise men came two years after Jesus was born, right? Herod only killed all the kids two years and younger because he figured Jesus might be as old as two years. And so we have in this icon two and a half years of time compressed into a single moment as though there were no change, no passage of time. It's all here and now. We can put it back down again. Thank you. There you go. It's all here and now. The church gives us this reminder in our iconography that we are not just marking time on calendars. We are living in a moment that is somehow eternal and eternally changing us. And so then we might ask, well, what does it mean to see this, to see the, the unity of the nativity, to see that this is more than just another point in time? Well, the hymns give us some indication that this is when everything comes together, when God becomes a child and so the earth offers a cave Humanity, well, that offers Mary. I mean, the, that quote from Father Alexander Schremann uh, that uh, Subdeacon Timothy gave us was just wonderful. That Christ's human life is Mary's life, his body, her body. Humanity gave Mary. The earth itself gave a cave. Um, the shepherds gave their worship. The angels gave glory. The, the wise men from the east learned from their idolatry to worship the true God. How amazing is that? Right? They worshipped the stars we hear, and they were taught by a star, so the universe itself conspires to bring everyone together in this, to see in this moment a mystery, as we say in the hymn today, a mystery, strange and wonderful. The cave is actually heaven. The virgin is actually the throne of the cherubim on which God sits. 
the manger, which is just a hay trough. It's not a very nice thing. We always make it look cute in pictures, but it's just, it's just a hay trough. It's filled with stinking hay. That contains the uncontainable God. So if we have the eyes to see, we realize that in this moment, the world is filled with glory. But it's very hard to see because on top of that glory is just a cave and a manger. And probably, if we're being honest, a very tired couple. I have to assume that Mary and Joseph were pretty well wrecked by this point. And I also have to assume that the shepherds neither looked nor smelled as nice as the ones in my nativity set do. I have to assume that the animals stank and that the baby cried, despite the best intents of away in a manger. Little Lord Jesus definitely made some crying that night, right? Beneath, or I'm sorry, on top of the mystery of eternity coming together in this moment is all the banality and dirtiness and dinginess of this world. It's all hidden, because that's what a mystery is. It's hidden, and so it's hard to see. It's hard to dwell in it, and it's impossible to make it better by pretending that it was some other kind of event. And what I mean is that just like getting more presents won't make Christmas stay, and eating more food won't make Christmas stay. Well, I mean, it definitely makes it stay in some ways, but it won't really make it stay. So, too, to misunderstand what happened in that moment will not bring us any closer to the God who wishes to make us like himself. And so I want to think a bit about the gospel and the epistle reading, too. Because we had a couple of responses today to the birth of our Lord and God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We had the wise men from the East, the Magi, Caspar, Melchior, Balthazar by tradition. They came. They knew what was up. They wanted to find the king of the Jews, and they told Herod, but Herod was the king of the Jews because the Romans let him call himself the king of the Jews. And so what's Herod's response? He goes, oh, a king is born. Oh, that's going to be a problem because I'm the king. So what does this man, who, by the way, at this point is old and sick and already dying and has already killed all but one of his own kids, what does he do? He responds by murdering every child in the region. By tradition, 14,000. That's his response to Christmas. He takes it, and he tries to hold on to the life that he thought he was supposed to have, a life of power or wealth or whatever it is he was going to hold on to. And so he tries to stop it before it happens because he doesn't recognize the mystery. He doesn't realize what has really been going on because he thinks a king is like another worldly ruler. He doesn't understand that this is a very different kind of king. This is a king who is born in a manger. This is a king who is with the animals, who is down in the muck, whose first experience of this world is going to be becoming a refugee, who is going to join the nameless hordes of people that we still watch on television fleeing violence in their home countries and trying to find some safety somewhere else. That's the first thing that happens to this king. So if one's expecting what the world thinks of as power or glory, we're not going to get it. And when we respond to that, we tend to respond in selfishness and even in violence. So Herod shows us one way of misunderstanding this mystery that is contained in the icon, that is contained in the hymns. He doesn't get it. And his response is one of pure horror. Another response is Paul. 
And I think this is an interesting one to pair because our epistle tells of another person who tried to stop the Christians. Paul does the same thing. He said, you've heard about my former life, how I persecuted the church beyond anyone else and how I uh, excelled in zeal beyond many of my own generation. He says, for the traditions of our fathers. See, Paul heard about, well, when he was still called Saul, he heard about this Jesus and those who followed him, and he saw in it a threat to, the, to religion, to Judaism, to the truth of the one God and, and his Israel. Paul was like, whoa, no, that is not how this works. But for Paul, there was something a bit different. He wasn't after power. He wasn't like a Herod. He was ready to receive because being a Pharisee, he believed in three things that were very important to Pharisees. One, the resurrection of the dead. Two, revelations from angels. Three, the traditions of the fathers. And so when he had a revelation of Christ, when he met Christ on the road to Damascus and he had his own encounter with the incarnation, with the nativity, we might say, he saw in this the resurrection from the dead. This is Christ whom God raised. He saw in it a revelation of something more than an angel, not from people, not from angels, but from God himself. And he saw in Christ the fulfillment of the traditions of the fathers. And so Paul was ready to receive Christ and become the greatest advocate and missionary of Christ that the world has ever known. Paul behaves a bit like the wise men. His misunderstanding leads him to a right understanding because he's open. And so there's some room for us not to get the mystery just yet. Because if we're being honest, it's really hard to hold together this mystery. It's really hard to hold together God before the ages, newborn baby. Those don't go together. They can't go together. It's utterly incomprehensible. It is utterly incomprehensible that the king of the universe is lying in a hay manger among animals and dung. That makes no sense. But that is the mystery that we hold on to. And if we are receptive to it, like Paul or like the wise men, then even if we don't fully understand it, even if we tend to err on one side or the other and we think a bit too much about the cute little baby Jesus in the manger or too much about the glory of the king and we can't hold them all together at once, that's okay because we can continue to be receptive and we can continue to dwell in this moment. Because this moment of the nativity is big enough to contain all our misunderstandings And more than that, it's big enough to contain all the ways in which we may not feel like we are matching up to it. The other thing I always think about with today's gospel is that the first thing we get after the nativity is tragedy. The first thing we get is murder and death. And it's just one of the most horrific scenes in the entire uh, scriptures. That's the first thing we get. And I think it's a reminder that as we sing the glories of the nativity... Our experience of it is also very often much messier and much harder. I mean, it's another COVID Christmas. It sucks. You know, two of these in a row. It's getting old. This one almost seems worse than the last one. How many people have we lost? How many people are having their plans upended or in isolation again or whatever it is? Or maybe even without that, we aren't experiencing this season as one of joy and delight 
living up to all those hallmark cliches that we're supposed to get out of Christmas. Maybe it doesn't feel like that. Maybe we feel a bit more left to the side, like it somehow missed us. Well, the readings today remind us that it's not going to miss us, that there is messiness in this, and there is pain and suffering, and we're going to hurt, and we're going to feel like we're not able to dwell in the incarnation, and we're not able to dwell in this glorious moment of heaven and earth united. We might identify more with the animals, a little just confused by it all, more with those who lost people, more with any number of things. But there's room in that icon for all of us, for all the reactions and all the misunderstandings and all the imperfections that we're going to experience as we try to hold on to something that defies our understanding, that defies the world's expectations for what happiness looks like or how we get it, that defies even our own ability to find joy because ultimately it comes down to God finding us. And God finds us as a newborn child, as a fragile and vulnerable infant, as someone who takes on all of our infirmities so that he can give us all of his glory. And so we can say that Christ has come from heaven and we can receive him. Christ is down here on earth and we will be lifted up even if we're not always feeling it just yet. And so whatever else has happened or happens or goes on out there, we are certain of one thing. Christ is